one. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Brand Builders Podcast. Today, we are kicking off a series on Kellogg on branding. Now, if you're following every episode, you're probably asking yourself, haven't you already talked about one of the chapters before? And you would be correct. However, we thought it would be useful, given the foundational importance of this work of art, to just go through the whole thing sequentially, section by section. So that is what you can expect, and today is part one of this journey. What else should you expect? Well, we are going to go through a high-level summary, and then Tom and I are going to go back and forth talking about some interesting topics that we took away from this first section. And we will discuss, we will argue, we will laugh and we will cry. But the objective is that hopefully in that process, that roller coaster of emotions, that for you, the listener, you take away some actionable thoughts, lessons, learnings, things to try, new ways to think as you navigate this tumultuous yet infinitely rewarding world of building a brand. Tom, how are you doing today? You know, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited to talk about Kellogg on branding. I think we've, uh, Kellogg on branding was a very formative text um, for uh, young Tom and Preston as we were starting Chubbies. Um, and so it's fun to um, reconnect with it and then also see they've got the new version, Kellogg on branding in a hyper-connected world. And yeah, like, we're hoping that this can start to become, um, if we can be, you know, eloquent and do the authors um, the service of uh, conveying some of the concepts here is um, distilling down some of the kind of critical takes we've gotten from these texts that are really important to us in our careers um, so that you can read them. Um, but uh, without reading them, you can still get some some of the value from um, some of these really smart folks working on really uh, important topics. And so this was kind of chief among um, the texts we wanted to start to dive into and kind of present a, you know, um, distillation, a connection to current operating, current brands, our experiences, so that hopefully there's uh, actionable insights. Every time I read one of these um, or reread one of these, just like come out of it with so much that I'm eager and aching to do. And so hopefully that, that can um, um, convey over to anybody who, How's the time to listen? Fabulous. Perfect context. And with that, why don't we begin? Why don't we kick it off with a broad, high-level summary of section one. I can take a stab and then Tom hand it over to you. And then after that, we can kick off with the interesting tidbits that stood out to us. And we'll just keep this you know, high octane, action packed, high information density, and again, at the benefit of you, the listener. So, section one, four chapters, titled, Thinking Strategically About Your Brand. Chapter one focuses on brand positioning. The foundations, they say, and I would tend to agree, of building a strong brand, uh, how do you think about positioning it, sustaining it, repositioning it, thinking about competitive factors or changes in the world or in, in the realm in which you operate, in the market in which you operate? Chapter two, leveraging the power of brand purpose. So what really does that mean? How does it actually play out? Uh, I think we all know that it's important to have a purpose, but outside of that surface level, understanding that I think we all share, what does it actually mean? How does it play out? What are some examples there? Chapter three, building a powerful brand portfolio. Might be some things that we'll point out there that may or may, that we can apply to folks in general. The assumption is most folks listening to this podcast are working on a singular brand and it might not be, I mean, Bernard Arnault, if you're listening to this podcast, um, maybe we can teach you a thing or two 
that you can take away and apply to LVMH. But outside of that, we will make applications or extrapolations to those of you building singular brands as well. And then chapter four, competitive brand strategies, creating pioneer, fast follower, uh, late mover advantages. Again, just in the context of a brand within a real life dynamic competitive environment, how do we not only start with success, but continue with success? I'll stop there. Tom, hand it over to you as we think about summary. Any other points that we might convey to the listener or shall we just jump into point interesting point number one let's dive in yeah i I think the most interesting piece is kind of the um, tactical takes what actions we saw coming from this how we thought about it i think we'll try and also give moments when we disagree or when we Mm -hmm. have a kind of nuanced take because i think there are a couple of those where where i saw an opportunity to kind of add and and um, dive a bit deeper so i think that makes sense um i can kick us off um so i think the first the first thing that we cover in the in uh, section one is all about positioning and repositioning and things like that um and this is like orient i think they generally orient this around um, a positioning statement um that kind of defines um uh, a lot about your brand and and Preston I think you've got I won't steal your thunder on some of those um but I think for me one of the interesting pieces and, and positioning is related to your product but it isn't necessarily your product one of the examples they use is Blue Apron where Blue Apron's product is meal kit meal prep um delivery you've got um you've got your recipe you've got all the ingredients awesome Um, But then there's still the question of how do we want to position it? And I thought this was an interesting example where basically they say um, Blue Apron decided to position um, uh, in uh, position themselves against kind of grocery, right? Uh, Position themselves um, against um, kind of the classic um, shopping meal prep problem of like, well, if I were to do this at the grocery store, it would be a daunting task because I have to find the recipe. Then I have to go get the ingredients. I have to make sure the ingredients are in the right portions, all this stuff. Um, why don't I just go with Blue Apron, who's got the recipe, got the ingredients, etc. So that's one way to position that that product. Um, another way that they, ex- the example they gave um, of positioning Blue Apron could have been, hey, this is a more fun option than takeout, right? So then your competitive set turns into the takeout market and we're trying to go steal from Uber Eats, DoorDash, et cetera. Um, and the positioning would be more like, hey, this is a healthier, more fun alternative than just sitting around and waiting for your food. Why don't you get up, make some good stuff um, as a family and have a have a laugh? I think like <laughs> both like in terms of like jobs to be done, but also um, the, the, the thing that I pulled from this is like there is a market determination, even if your product is your product. There's a market determination there where Blue Apron, by that, by taking dollars from the grocery budget and going after grocery, had access to a much bigger pie um, because grocery spending is much, much, much higher than takeout spending um, than if they went after this takeout market. And I thought that was a really interesting framing of how positioning changes your market. I think like when we think about brand positioning and uh, marketing and things like that, at least me, last 15 years, like a lot of what... I tend to hear is that marketing is kind of that like fluff on top. And it's not the thing that determines your market, like what your business legitimately is. And and I think there are various people who have, who have different takes and, and acknowledge the importance of marketing. But I think like for me, that was an interesting um, thought is to make sure that you think about not just the marketing of like, how do I how do I adapt the things that I'm doing to our current positioning or whatever it is, or what I believe is our target market, how do you take a step back and think about like, hey, is there a way we can play in bigger markets with the same product um, by uh, positioning changes? I thought that was a really cool um, concept. And question for you, Preston, was like, did that resonate with you? Um, How did you think about like, can you position your way into a much bigger market? Can you think of other examples um, like Blue Apron where somebody kind of positioned themselves into a bigger market. Um, um, yeah, give me your, I would love your thoughts on all of those. Well, first that was like an awesome, that was an awesome, uh, I think summary and example 
with Blue Apron, where I, I have somewhat mixed feelings and I don't actually know if they're in conflict here or if I actually disagree with, for instance, the Blue Apron example, because and I guess here's my point, um, like money first, profit first, business first versus whether it be purpose first or problem first or need first is sort of the the distinction that I'm exploring with my forthcoming thoughts. With the Blue Apron example, it kind of sounded like the positioning was picked because as you as you were saying, in those two examples, one, more fun than takeout, two, easier than grocery, they chose to largely because it seemed like the financial opportunity there was more interesting. There was more uh, more dollars that they could steal or more spend share or whatever the term is that they could take from that positioning compared to takeout. Now, the reason why, and I'm just thinking through this live, the reason why that might be is tied back to the need, you know, the problem to be solved, the job to be done to your point. So, you know, maybe they're, they aren't in conflict uh, at all, but that was just something that I thought about where sometimes in my oversimplistic naivete, I poo-poo some of these frameworks from the perspective of when starting thinking about building a brand, at least from sort of like a zero to something, let's say 0.5, you... And again, I don't think this is broadly applicable, but I think just my end of one experience, you are your customer. You have the problem. You understand the problem. The big assumption, the big leap that I also make is that uh, the world is big and if and that because of that, fundamentally, there will be a lot of people like you and positioning will just sort of naturally happen based upon the approach you think is best to take, how you understand the need, the problem, and how you view the solution. Uh, however, that if that even applies at all, that might only apply in a very, very small portion of instances where branding is, is applicable. So uh, let me just say those things, getting those thoughts out, um, the, so if I can, if I can distill down, you're kind of like, please. is positioning even a thing? Is there like strategic positioning even a thing or is it born out of your own experience of the problem as the founder and the positioning is organic? Um, that's what I'm exploring. That's what I'm exploring. But of course at P and G or name your large brand and in some ways, yeah, if, if you're working at those companies, some of the stuff I think we say could be applicable, but potentially you already studied all this stuff. So maybe most of the folks listening to this are, are in somewhat of a founder-led context. Uh, so yeah, I think in that realm, I do think there's an organic component. Maybe let's call it bottoms up versus tops down. But... I'm also now trying to tie it to the Chubby's experience and maybe things that I learned and what, if anything, we could have done differently. Did we use any, did we use top-down approaches in a meaningful way? Anyways, I'm sort of having those thoughts, but yes, I think you summarized it aptly. Oh, there's an interesting question. Like, like if we thought about like, what if the way we had thought about the problem that because like at Chubby's, it's I, I have trouble like thinking about the product versus the brand, and maybe they just mm -hmm. go so hand in hand. Mm -hmm. There's probably like a more a less comedy oriented, more kind of emotional, cool sort of mystique that you could have presented from a brand. Like, what problem does the brand now solve? Um, and how does that position us, right? Like Chubby's, maybe you could have gone with a pitch of like, um, surf, right? Like a surfy sort of, yep. um, vibe, surfy sort of brand. 
you're in a different market. You're in yep. the market with like Hurley and, you know, Birdwell's in this category. And you've got kind of this broad competitive set that's completely different than where we ended up, which right. is certainly more on the like J crew kind of, um, uh, note. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like J crew vineyard vines, mm -hmm. um, Lululemon, like not quite so surf survey, like survey is mm -hmm. a very specific market. It's like California cool. And, um, there's a vibe you get there. And I, and like, that would have been a different market with similar product, same product. Um, you could have presented it in a completely different way. And, you know, had we all been surfers, maybe that's the way we would have thought about the problem. And maybe that's like the only way that brand would have worked. Um, but there is something interesting around like, and then the, the kind of fineries, the nuances of what's the difference between Vineyard Vines and J. Crew, J. Crew and Lululemon. Right. They're all slightly different sort of orientations and angles um, that you can even fine tune and enter into slightly different markets. Um, right. Well, one of the things that I, that resonated when you just started responding was just the, um, the distinction, if at all, or the separation between product and brand. And when you were talking where my mind started to go was you know, thinking hypothetically about slightly different paths was, was that, um, and, and I think particularly whether it even be surf or weekend or our take of the weekend or like retro weekend or whatever, but having a looser tie specifically to an individual product as being a core component of the positioning of our brand company, brand company, uh, could that potentially have given us the right to introduce more products earlier on, have a broader assortment? Uh, the why there is potentially grow the business faster, become a larger, more impactful business faster. Uh, if we had potentially been more about, to your point, maybe surf broadly, not necessarily shorter surf board shorts, maybe like what a Birdwell was primarily known as versus a Hurley that I don't know if I necessarily know the history perfectly, but I actually don't know where they started. But in my mind today, kind of, I, at least I know them more for like uh, board short first, um, t-shirts, hats, other things are maybe... Yeah secondary but supportive so anyways my, my mind starts to go there just this exploration of brand and product closely tied not closely tied i mean my mind starts to go to like a viori where they weren't necessarily strictly tied to a singular product although if i remember a little bit like the joggers and the fabric were uh, maybe a I hero a great example I think but that just, they were men's shorts too. I think that they were men's yeah, shorts yeah. through a different lens. And then when their business and their business, they grew steadily through wholesale, which I want to, let's put a pin in that. Mm. Um, but, uh, but then their business blew up as they got into women's um, and they started mm. to look way more like Lululemon yeah. than they looked like chubbies, right? Like right. that was a, that was a big moment for them. And, um, which is not and, always easy to do <laughs> just this whole yeah. idea of, of category expansion, particularly from a gender perspective. So uh, <laughs> it's just, I mean, fantastic respect uh, for how they did it. So, but he, here's the, here's the pin. I'm going to pull this pin out. So the internet, right? Like digital really, like really powerful at building like at Chubby's, we had the benefit of being really clear. Um, yeah. And when you have a clear pitch, you have a brand association that starts to become really clear. If you're associated with like a general vibe and a general energy and rhythm, I have a question on that. Like, mm -hmm. um, I think that there have been excellent brands built like that, but I think that they, they, and this speaks to brand versus direct response, probably in a really large, to a really large extent, is you think about, um, single product companies 
um, single product brands that are like really associated with one product or one category, the internet serves them well because everything on the internet is like funnel them into the highest conversion path, the ads that are the best, right. get the spend, then send them to the highest kept running places. If you're not doing that, it looks like you're leaving money on the table. Um, and thus, it's really hard to do category expansion when you're kind of single category, single product, um, as there are bountiful examples. But when you come at it the other way, what wholesale wants and what you have to have for retail is a broader experience, right? Like on the internet, shopping for chubby shorts, really easy. Like that's very specific and you have a need, I go there. When you're shopping more broadly, more generally, it's not like you're sprinting straight to your location that has the shorts you want. You're getting the hell out of there. You want a, you want a factory line <laughs> of shorts. And you're going to grab those <laughs> and run back to your car. You're having an experience. Right. And you want to be surrounded by the energy and the vibe, right? And so um, it behooves you. And you also take up more real estate in store and in wholesale right. with a broader assortment. And frankly, sometimes they just won't even work with you unless you have a broader assortment. Right. And then in your store, like imagine walking into a place that has just one single item, <laughs> you know, repeated <laughs> around. And there are, there are pockets of this, right? Like there are shoe stores, there are, um, uh, uh glasses stores, sunglasses stores, things like that. But like generally by and large, you're surrounded by the vibe and the energy Right. And uh, you need, you want to touch a bunch of different things, and that's like the way that Viore grew. Probably a lot more amenable to a broader a broader uh, 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 market set, broader category expansion, and probably a little easier um, to then jump over into women's because they haven't established a single lane so heavily from a brand perspective digitally. Um, and I think they've also just done a great job of product um, that makes all things easier. Right. Um, but I think there's something interesting there of like how you've grown and what can you stomach as a digital brand? Like when you've got a hero product and a hero winner that like any adjustment away from feels like you're not putting your best foot forward, but then you're not expanding categories. You're not kind of finding that next step. Yeah. So interesting. And, and then, so one example that I would just throw to you as a counterexample-ish, Everlane, for instance, where, you know, starting digitally, but less, maybe I'm mistaken. Like maybe it was like the men's Oxford. I don't remember exactly. So maybe, maybe this, maybe I need to be reminded, but online first, um, potentially product first core to brand, but mostly it was this notion of transparency of the factory, uh, innovation, seemingly in terms of, I don't know how much, maybe true innovation. I, I, I Let's leave that over here. <laughs> but just this general idea of on a product page saying, hey, here's like how much it costs and how much it costs to ship it. And the whole idea of eliminating the middle person, um, the middleman. And seemingly, and again, I don't have insight into their business, so I could just be totally off, but it seems like they were able to do to a certain extent what Viore did without having the wholesale component. But I don't know, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that front. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know nothing about the mechanics of that business. Yeah. I know that like we were uh, a lot of respect for Michael and the team there, and they've done some great work. Um, I would be curious, like um, how critical retail was to their expansion. Yeah. Uh, given some of these things. Um, and Everlane was a part of like, you know, this kind of um, e-com 3.0 or whatever. Yeah. Um, where, um the, the they were just early days as were we uh, in the in the in the field of like bonobos um chubbies us um warby right like there were some people and, and they probably got like most of the press like a very prable brand most of the press coverage this is something we've talked about like yeah the press for chubbies was not <laughs> that was not something we were not getting any <laughs> any news coverage and when we got it it was like oh gosh this yeah. is not not high quality yeah. um if anyone so, if anyone's listening and wants to know or get a feel for what we mean yeah just google chubbies and then click news so look at all and, the articles yeah i mean some are, uh, some are good anyway, 
Yeah. I do not interview we, we were well. Plagued, one thing but, <laughs> yeah. Well, and also just no one wanted to write about nice right. like they, they didn't want to write nice things about us. They right. wanted to not. They wanted to <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to get it, get after us. Um but uh but anyway, like Everlane completely different, like resonated yeah. completely differently with journalists. Um, totally. And um, and so I think there's an element there, but I also think that retail was critical to yeah. them finding scale. Right. Um, but I don't know that. Yeah, um, yeah. But they they got store proliferation. Like it, you know, if if Michael's a smart guy, like <laughs> guessing if they're expanding stores, totally. they're finding success with it. Totally. Um, which backs that play, right? Um, backs that kind of category expansion sort of play. Totally, totally. Well, why don't we? On that note, why don't we transition to maybe a second interesting topic. So we've talked a little bit about positioning. One of the things that I thought was just uh, something interesting that stood out was just, and I think there's a bit of uh, you know, tactical application here, is just this idea of testing your brand positioning statement. So you know, how do you go about doing that? What are the specific ways that you might approach it? One of the things they call out just very simply is test for clarity, credibility, and distinctiveness. Okay, so what does that mean and how do you do it? So all they're basically saying is just start talking to people, talk to your friends, talk to your family. Um, When they hear it, can they name situations where your brand would be used, why it's superior to others and why they believe these claims or assertions to be true. And then it just very basically says, if people outside your company uh, or your immediate sphere cannot grasp, then it lacks clarity. Uh, If they don't believe, it lacks credibility. And then if you were to replace your brand name in this positioning statement with a competitor or someone else, then the statement uh, if it seems reasonable, lacks distinctiveness. So those are sort of three specific questions you could ask yourself as you're going through this, this process. And the general idea, just simply being if you fail any of these tests, it indicates there's more work to be done. But the reason why I thought this was interesting and potentially applicable to listeners is, one, potentially... And maybe speaking to my earlier rambling about this sort of like organic um, uh, creation of or manifestation of positioning just simply as a result of you, founder, having a problem or seeing an opportunity or having some story or event that happened in your life and you simply make the product for yourself because you see the gap, whatever that might be. But... um, over time, what can sometimes happen, and I think we'll get into some of this with repositioning or operating in competitive environments, etc., or just as the business itself grows and you get maybe further and further away from the reason the business started in the first place, or as you get more people, just like the realities of, of growth, um, to a certain extent, a brand can lose some of those things. So one takeaway I also pulled out of this is that like if you're listening and your brand is maybe 20, 200, 500 million, whatever, billion, however big it is, but you've seen success, uh, there's also just a process of checking back in on this positioning statement. Does it pass the tests of clarity, credibility, distinctiveness? I think that's a, it's a solid lens through which to view, um, this stuff and sometimes it's sort of like eh, these positioning statements are kind of bs it's just something they got to teach you in business school fair but sometimes it just is essential to write some of this stuff down (laughs) to get it out of your head as the founder or as the head of marketing or as one of the leaders so that the other people who don't have all the context that you have, and this is something I, I really struggled with over time at Chubby's was just like, I might feel it. Uh, it might be super clear in my head, but I was pretty piss poor at conveying it in an articulate fashion. It took a lot of work. 
maybe improve to a certain degree over time. So I guess the point here on uh, testing your positioning statement is here's a clear approach for how to do that. Um, doesn't only have to be done right when you're starting the thing. Maybe it's an annual thing. Maybe it's every three years or something like that. But it uh, just seems like a tactical, useful thing to do as you check in on your positioning, your market, what has been changing, what are other people doing, how is how's the customer changing, how are you changing as a founder, as a leader? So, yeah, what do you think? I mean, what, what are some of your thoughts on that front? Yeah. I tend to think, like, take it farther, right? Like, mm. I think the, my... Um, my qualm with the positioning statement is it's like easy to write, easy to kind of sound like, I don't know. It passes Either all of sounds those cool. tests. Yeah, it's uh, easy to do that, but like hard to understand you have something um, until you go deeper, right? And, mm -hmm. and like, I think that's relatively obvious. Like we can write positioning statements all day, but execution on that is the most important thing. So like mm -hmm. the way I think about it is not just have a sense of positioning, put that behind the scenes is my take and mm -hmm. go build content, go write, go storytell. And can you provide that context in that way? Like, are you good yep. at that? Because like, um, you know, <laughs> you and I both are not the best at like formal business presentations, um, <laughs> but somehow, you know, had a, had a um, proclivity for, I think changing that context of like now I'm building something for lots and lots of people to try and digest and like, let's make sure that this is fun and creative and interesting. Right. Um, uh, that I think is the, the important lens and what it takes is more work, but like mm -hmm. not that much more. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. particularly with the state of like creative tooling and where all this crazy stuff coming out of open AI, hugging face, you name it right. is going. It's like, um, if you're a storyteller and you have, um, you're coming from a place of problem and you're coming from a place where you feel it viscerally, it's not just like write a positioning statement. It's like, how can you convey that feeling in some sort of content or some sort of vehicle that then you could put out? Right. Um, and, um, how can you do that in a really low risk way? And my take is like, go build the creative, like pretend like you've got the brand, pretend like you've got the product and start to build the creative. And yep. what does that look like? Um, that's what, and, um, yeah, Michael did from Michael from liquid death. Like he didn't even have yeah. a product. He just started yeah, making exactly. videos and exactly. started getting a bunch of free reach without having anything. That's exactly it. Yeah. Because then you're testing like what content can I get to move? And that's probably the most important piece of this. And it's just like not where we've come from, from a business school perspective. And this is maybe one of my gripes with, with Kellogg is like um, couched in like it, this isn't science. This is opinion in a lot of cases and really smart opinion, right? Like I yep. think that's awesome. Great. Um, but there's a new world where the way you explore concepts is just gets to be different and it gets to be because content production costs are coming down because platforms are welcoming of low production value content people are looking for stories they're looking for they're eager they engage digitally they respond with how they behave um very much so um that there's just a lot of different ways you can go appeal to people um one of the ways is product right like you can build the product literally and go see if people enjoy that. And that's awesome. I would recommend that if you have that proclivity and you can basically be that scrappy person who's making the first products, like that seems great. Um, and um, it just tends to take a little bit more money and a little bit more time. Content wise, if you've got that proclivity or, or, or probably most important, if you feel viscerally about this problem that you're working on, get it, start recording content today, like start getting that out and start honing your storytelling. Because the thing about a positioning statement is like, I go show that to 50 people. Okay. I've showed that one statement to 50 people and maybe I showed it to 10 and then I refine it and then I showed it to another 10 or whatever. With content, like we could put out all sorts of different things and experiment with different pockets of people who've never seen that content before digitally. Um, and, um, and you know, that, that's how I kind of lean. Yeah. It's like, Go test your muscle as content creator, brand builder, 
building a brand around the problem that you're trying to solve and then let the product fill in. Again, like I think there's a few ways to do it, but I guess my point is it starts with creativity, creative execution in some way, shape or form. That's where I think yeah. it starts. Right. That's a that's a great point and that totally makes sense. And in some ways it might segue to your next interesting topic, which, and maybe I'll try to make the segue here, but actually maybe before doing that, one other thing I'd love to get your quick thoughts on. So we talked about Mike from Liquid Death creating content before he had a product. I'm curious, having not fully- like read any freaking influencer brand ever. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so that's exactly where I was going to go with oh, this. Yeah. It's like, how do you think about, about that? Let's use Kim Kardashian or any, any member of the Kardashian. They have been creating content for years and learning what to do, how to do it, what resonates, what doesn't, how to cultivate an audience, how to explore creativity. And then you just slot a company in there, you slot products in there and yeah. they go to the moon. And so could that be consistent with, with, Totally. The point that you're making as well. Yeah, totally. And like, it is exactly the point. It's like your content muscle is so freaking powerful. Like it, again, like your product muscle is as well. So like you're on a couple of ends of the creative spectrum and maybe yep. you're Jack or Jill of all trades and can do everything under the sun, which is like perfect case scenario. But it's like effectively your resources when you're starting out are you. And so you've got to do these things and you've got to find the unlocks by finding something not that you're like naturally awesome at, but that you can throw yourself at day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. Yep. And I think that's the story. That's the story behind a lot of um, influencers these days, whether they're whether they're in the, you know, um, favor or ire of the public. I think there's a lot of really hard work that goes behind that a lot of content, a lot of creative, a lot of creative misses the build up to creative success. And it's, mm -hmm. I think that's a similar process on the product side of things as right. it is on the content side of things. Um, but I think influencers are just people who like have a proclivity on the content side of things. They don't have a product. They're just like, all right, let's, let's make some of this stuff. Let's like, yeah. let's create, let's build. Um, right. And Mr. Beast is a good example right. of that, right? Like the product is the content. Um, but now all of a sudden he's got a, you know, 90 businesses and, <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. Right. Um, so that, that, that I think is exactly it. And I think like right. particularly as, you know, I, I'm interested in this, like, um, right. Yes. Iteration cycle, like pace of iteration with all right. of the advancements in AI and things like that. I think mean, there's just a lot of really cool stuff like that, that open AI video demo, whatever it is, Soros, right. Pretty nuts. Pretty yeah. sick for like somebody who's like, I don't have any resources. I just need to right. create like really sick content. Yeah. Now, like, We'll see how it does with humor, <laughs> like right. that sort of stuff. <laughs> but I saw one that was like a uh, super not compelling Super Bowl ad. <laughs> it was a guy in like a chicken costume in a business suit wearing, holding a sign that just says wings or something. <laughs> just standing there. Um, so that's kind of funny. Um, but anyway, I'm excited for that because then it's like idea to creative, idea to creative, idea to creative. And you can iterate really quickly. And it's truly a contest of ideas, which is right. sick. Totally. And then maybe, and then, okay, I'll try to make the jump now. Maybe partially starting with <clears throat> a little bit of a, a qualm with, in general, these sorts of things that are business schooly. let's just say, uh, as it relates to the positioning statement, if I'm maybe one way to sum up what you were telling me or the way that I'm digesting it is... Yeah, in some ways, they're they're claiming that by running this statement through these filters and putting it in front of some people that you're coming in contact with reality or with a customer. But, you know, it's really not right. It's it's so indirect. Whereas to your point, once you start creating content, that is true interaction with the public, with people, with potential customers and so I guess the takeaway there is do that. Start doing that. That's where you learn. You don't really learn by saying, uh, I am this because of this. And here's why you believe this. And here's why we're different. Just telling that to your mom or whatever. But start, start doing the things, putting it out there. 
and start failing a bunch uh, and feel that pain, but keep going is I think one of the ways that I'm, I'm taking stuff away from what you're saying. And then to segue it to maybe the next interesting point that, uh, that I liked what you called that is just this whole idea of target market and the potential dissonance between who we think we are, who we think we're selling to and who we really are in the eyes of people, uh, and who we're actually selling to. And just these whole ideas that, or it, all of these ideas, excuse me, where the only way to actually start to uncover this stuff is by actually doing it, putting stuff out there and starting to learn. It's not writing documents, presentations, etc. Sure, maybe there's some value there, but but seemingly the learnings are happening when you start to get out there and create. But be curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I th I think the interesting piece that I saw, like that I was noting in this is yeah. like the positioning statement. And, and maybe it's like all of this is like if your alternative is you're going to do nothing or do these things, I would do these things for sure. Yeah. Um, and so like I, I, but I I think there are ways to go deeper Robar. and just things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there are ways to take these to kind of their their next step. And particularly with like modern tools where like even this was even the update to this book was written a while ago. Um, and I think the um, the piece that I'm always thoughtful about with these like strategic orientations and target market and things like this. And this kind of goes in the face of um, some of what I've said earlier, but it's like um, oftentimes your target market is either so generic as to not be useful um mm -hmm. or misunderstood there are certain cases where like many people nail it i think there are uh, at least historically famous case studies um, yep. of the one i remember is like nike really pegging who in like literal human life everybody wants to dress like mm. <laughs> you know like there's an archetype there and if you can get that person wearing your product then everybody sees that person mm -hmm. um and then they um, adapt to that. And that, that person is just so aspirational that, and I think it was like the high school athlete because like the, mm. the, um, the like really successful high school athlete, if they're wearing Nike, then you've, you've got, you know, you've got everything made because they become the college athlete. And then once they're beyond, uh, so lots of people don't become college athletes from being good high school athletes. <laughs> right. right. Yes. And so they're looking back on their glory days and they're like, oh, that was me then. What are the cool kids wearing now that I see, see myself in that? And that's this whole cadre of, of, um, of people. And then the younger kids are looking up to those guys. You know, they have access to them. They go to the Friday night football games and all this kind of stuff. It's like right. an interesting idea, right? Like that to me is an interesting thought process of target market. That's like, acknowledging some of the things that I take objection to, um, but it still has one glaring issue, um, which I'll talk to you. But like, so so I think usually it's like these generic or like these really esoteric persona-based things that aren't yeah. aren't rooted in some of that like uh, orientation that Nike has um, of just like, who would be cool to sell to um, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, or who, how can I generally frame who I am, <laughs> you know, if I'm selling to myself <laughs> right. in as big a way as possible. Like <laughs> oh, my target market is men 18 to <laughs> 75. I am a human. There are a lot of them. Think about it. Let's do a bottoms up market sizing of that. Uh, <laughs> billions, literally billions. <laughs> And so then it gets to attitudinal and you're like, well, it's not, I guess it's not everybody there. It's like people who kind of like this vibe. And you're like, what? I can't size that. Um, and so I think it gets to be like a really hard exercise. And instead, you know, again, my recommendation is like, get out there and see who resonates with the way you think about things. Because you may think it's something, but actually the people who resonate with the way you like to speak is something completely different. And who resonate with the things you like to talk about um, is completely different. And that's, that's a fun discovery, mm -hmm. like, as opposed to it being jarring or whatever, of like, man, I wanted my target market to be these people, but it's actually these other people over here. Like, yeah. that's cool. Like, that's fun. That's, that's, that's discovery and learning. And so again, yeah, I, like, I think there is some value in understanding. I think one of the understandings that we had at Chubby's was like, we put a lot of content out there. And I think generally, um, we engaged our community really well, but also that, so much of how people think about your brand, like I would bet 95% of it 
is the people wearing your product like, right. and who they like right. that person and who that persona is. And when they're exposed to your product, a lot of like for the most part, Chubby's acquisition, like customer acquisition was massively driven by word of mouth. Right. right. Like um, and thus the person who's mouth is saying the words is really important <laughs> right. you know? and um thinking about that that lens of target market of like who's the influential audience and why and how do i know that probably powerful um mm -hmm. an interesting thought process um but i yeah i tend to always think about get out there get selling get moving put your content out who likes it and who shares it that's your and like that's your target market. And whether you like it or like, whether you like it or not, that's a, that's who you're resonating with. Now, like yeah. if you don't want to resonate with that audience, or you didn't think it's valuable, then maybe try a different content approach. Um, mm -hmm. Which is, which is yeah. you think where I wanted to maybe throw a question out to you in the realm of, and uh, in, in some ways I think resonated with us in the whole kind of like fraternity thing. And so then what the broader question thing? is, <laughs> um, if, and you started to answer it, if you would like to change, uh, who is resonating, who is buying the word of mouth narrative, maybe let's, let's say that, um, you mentioned content, so we can maybe talk about that. Are there any other ways that you might think about it i mean something that comes to mind is is and maybe it's a big swing super high risk is is maybe a big celebrity partnership or whatever something along those lines or like a big event i don't know super bowl ad it'd be like the prototypical example of like one massive thing high risk but um and maybe maybe we should even just question the premise of like, do we need to do this in the first place? Um, but I, I, I know I felt it personally for a while and then we, we did some stuff and found, I think a lot of success, but then it's also like, are we diluting or are we, uh, you know, there are these questions. And, and so I simply ask this question because maybe other brand founders, marketers, et cetera, are navigating some of these thoughts right now is they try to figure out how to find more success in 2024 and beyond. So what do you, what do you think on that front? Yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts. Cause I think you, um, I like a lot of what you put down and some of the excerpts you pulled out here. Um, mm -hmm. so I'll turn this quickly back over to you, but, but high level, like, um, there are examples of great, repositionings in the past. I mean, yeah. generally being a student of some of that, like getting really familiar with what's worked. And then there's a famous like Corona example that I always think about. Uh, right. It's just like related to um, what we were working on. Um, Such a good example. And, um, and effectively they went from being like the cheapest beer, like the Natty Light of Mexico and thus like uh, very related to like college spring breaks um to being this kind of beach brand find your beach sort of relaxed um anytime you're at the beach sort of uh, energy and like not not then the natty light of mexico sort of thing um and um anyway so i thought that was a good example um but i to me i think the the important thing that I don't know was like super well covered here maybe it is i guess it's like frame of reference um yeah so the the they talk a lot about um, frame of reference in um, positioning here, um, and so like um, that kind of defines what category you're in. Um, and so like frame of reference is like okay, if I'm a beer brand, um, I need to make sure that um, I'm hitting on the critical points of being a beer, right? And from a product and a marketing perspective, to a certain extent. And so like their example was like. Okay, if you're starting a beer brand, but you're not carbonated, well, you're not hitting um, a point of parity in this in this category. And I, I think of the repositioning as a similar concept of like yep. you have to stay close. You have to you have to be relatable to where you originally started. Um, and I think like it's not a far cry from being like this kind of um, party um, beer brand down in Mexico to like being the beach brand that manifested from that, like that's not a far cry. Whereas being like going from there to being 
you know, whatever, um, Ciroc or like a luxurious, yeah. like club, um, sort of brand might be harder. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm curious your thoughts. Like what did, what did you take from the repositioning, um, yeah. uh, examples? Yeah. The two that stood out to me that honestly, I didn't even know about were, uh, Miller light and Bud light. So light beer and then the Apple watch. So just quick summary but um, Miller Lite was effectively the first light beer. And the way they originally positioned themselves as such was less filling. And maybe it was like great taste, less filling, but less filling. And so that was the, um, I guess, frame of reference as a beer. And now it's light, lower calorie, therefore less filling. And then um, Anheuser-Busch came out with Bud Light and that was th their positioning was simply that this is just a, uh, like a great, great taste, um, superior taste. Right. And so now it's like, oh shoot, well now I'm competing against superior taste here, less filling. Uh, now I need to adapt. And I just thought that was a really sort of interesting dynamic where uh, A, there's an example of kind of just how things evolve over time, right? If you're sort of like the pioneer, the first, first mover in this space, and then you've got this competitive dynamic, which is, which is natural and amazing. Um, but the way that you differentiate or position yourself um, evolves over time as the, as the environment is dynamic. But I just thought that was interesting. And then on the, on the Apple watch side, um, I guess just this whole idea that originally, you know, it was kind of more positioned as this fashion, fashion first item, you know, the band could be swapped out sort of thing. Uh, and then, and I guess I do remember this to a certain extent, like they were really pushing the, the version that was, I think maybe a partnership with Hermes or something like that. That's why you've always worn them. Right. Like, High right. fashion. I mean, exactly. <laughs> Look at this. Uh, <laughs> Look at that thing. <laughs> Look at that. And, and then over time. It's, it's uncanny. It's the exact same color as your t-shirt. Right? Fashion. <laughs> Both are Hermes. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then turning it into more of this health first, like get data on yourself. Let's, let's tie active health data together and this is the best product to get you there so i just thought that was no interesting in terms of how they position it but the how i mean i think to your earlier point it was like they they just new content new communications whether paid um owned or earned and like they were able to sort of successfully to a certain extent to, to varying degrees you know navigate some of these some of these changes dealing both with uh, gosh, you know, sales aren't what we want them to be, uh, maybe on the Apple Watch side. And then competitive dynamics, maybe on the Miller Lite, Bud Light side. So yeah. those, were, those are some examples I thought were kind of interesting. I, the, the other thing that I always, like with the Apple Watch, the other thing that they had to have, and, and I'll ask you this on the beer one too, the, but the Apple Watch is more clear. They had to have the product, right? Like if they were like, check out this fitness app, and it's like just not very good for that. I'm like pretty terrible or didn't even have a fitness app. That's not positioning. That's like they had to build a sick product there. And I think they did have a really good product. Like it's the, it's one of the reasons that I got an Apple watch is like, it was the only way to kind of stay connected to the internet while surfing, right? Like there's right. not right. a lot. And like, maybe that's, maybe those are like counterfactuals, but like, <laughs> um, but if I needed to get texts from my wife because I, I needed to communicate in some way, shape or form, um, I had to wear the Apple watch. Like there was no alternative and it was pretty good at that. It was like, um, it was waterproof in a really powerful way while having all of what I wanted and tracking. And every time I got in, I felt really good about myself because it tracked all my, my, yeah. uh, swimming strokes and all that. Right. But like, um, so I, I and, and that, that kind of leads me to this, like the beer one, right? Like maybe you can just say, <laughs> our positioning is our product is so really good tasting you know this is and the Miller best tasting dang it we shouldn't have done the really bad tasting beer 
And so like, why didn't we? There's gotta that? be some of that. That's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You should have thought of this, Johnson. <laughs> it tastes okay, good. Start another one. Sorry, tastes even better. <laughs> Get an ad out. Get an ad out. That would be hilarious. <laughs> okay, new ad. Ours is the best taste, not just good taste. <laughs> Uh, so a lot of this does tie back to product with, with with booze and like stuff where it's like that does just generally generally doesn't taste good. <laughs> it's more like the acquired taste. I think yeah. the advantage that Bud Light has is probably that Budweiser was a much more popular beer than Miller. And so they can say best taste. It's more familiar taste. Yeah. But uh, but that's something that else that you have to back up, I think. And again, booze might be off to the side. Water probably off to the side of like. Uh, probably generally the same, more of an acquired taste than it is. Um, this product is actually the very best water, and that one's the worst water. Right. Um, but what? How do you think about like? Uh, to me, it's so obvious. Of course, product is like the center of this, and like you can't just say stuff about your products and expect people to believe it. But there is this like, how do I frame this feature of the product in an interesting way? Yeah. And how are you on time? Maybe we'll we'll Good. close up in like five, three to five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to your question, I, I do start to take a step back through this conversation and maybe less so when I was reading it myself and uh, jotting down notes, but just sort of like, there, yeah, there are some things that are just kind of like missing from the text that can, in some ways, just be kind of distracting where it's... Um, in some ways, these examples are attempting to create causality that isn't there in some ways. And uh, what resonated with me, what you said, is just like product matters, execution matters, putting stuff in front of people matters. And then like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face sort of thing where it's like, who, who cares that, that, you know, these examples existed and that you can, you know, turn what is truly gray into like perfect black and white examples that, that you can then teach and then test on. Uh, that, that's sort of one of the things I'm kind of taking away from this where, yeah, let's, let's, let's not get distracted from the things that really matter. Not to imply that hundred percent of the stuff in this book doesn't matter, but I think one of the things you're calling out or that we're trying to call out as part of this episode is just let's, also have cognizance of differing levels of importance of some of these ideas where if we just what's at the top it's amazing product amazing content how do you define that put it in front of people see how they respond to it and fail make mistakes keep going keep learning have your feedback loops on both of those fronts understand how you're evalu objectively evaluating the success or, success or failure of these things, and then just keep stumbling along, uh, which is so awesome and great and right. I think one of the problems with some of these things, and it, kind of what I pulled out from the purpose component as well, is just sort of like, yeah, I mean, you could spend your time spinning your wheels on all this stuff and never actually make any content or make any product. And that's, the problem with some of this stuff is that it could add unnecessary friction where it's just start getting in front of people, product and content. And um, like obviously having a purpose matters. Like you really shouldn't be creating a company without a purpose that's compelling. And so, yeah, I guess we have to tell people that. And but there's a whole chapter on it in this book. And one of my favorite things from just the that Bo Burnham I think it's called inside his uh, I think it was a Netflix special is where he's the, the the brand consultant and you know he's just kind of like talking it's hilarious um, I don't think you can actually find the clip the video and the audio on YouTube I looked but I was able to find the audio but it just reminded me where it's just like these brands taking a stand right and there's like serious examples of this stuff and not that Purpose doesn't matter, and it's stupid. I'm not trying to say that, but uh, it's I don't know, a little bit more of an obvious thing. And 
yeah, confirm you have a strong purpose, but then there's also funny examples. And I think even in the book, one example that was given was this just this idea of graham crackers. <laughs> and they were trying to tie their um, their purpose to wholesome ingredients. And then therefore, and not that there's anything wrong with what they did, but then the leap they made was wholesome ingredients. So then now we're going to talk about wholesome. And then so now we're going to talk about families of all types, stripes, colors, definitions, and sort of like, yeah, that's great. But maybe, I don't know, like maybe it's just like taking it a little bit too far. And like Bo Burnham was like, who are you, Bagel Bites? Will you support? <laughs> will you support wheat thins in the fight against Lyme disease? <laughs> Roll yeah. up your sleeves and get to work and sell yeah, think, butterfingers. <laughs> I think like there is this like balance of purpose versus social purpose, um, and like I think right absolutely have to have purpose. Um, and uh, but I there is a <laughs> there is a funny like counterfactual what if you had literally no purpose and you were like trying to sell product with no purpose whatsoever you're like i have no idea <laughs> put these out find it interesting or like a really obviously bad purpose <laughs> like we would like to have everyone eat lots of sugar and that is our purpose. That probably work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Evil great. Corp uh, <laughs> as like having all of these like really fucked up businesses. But it's funny because you could spin it on its head and I bet it would be resonant. Right. Content. Like you would probably build brands off of the exact opposite of what they say. Yeah. Um, it's like have a purpose, but have it be evil. Like right. have it be like not, uh, not good. Totally uh, unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. Totally <laughs> unhealthy. And like there are products that you know, when getting down to it, that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to make people have fun and feel good or whatever. Right. But you could create a candy company that's purpose is all about <laughs> just a really not good stuff. I'm just going to run away. Maybe not be successful, but I'll throw <laughs> that out there. If anyone wants to start it. Um, this this is the... going to like eat away at your teeth. It's going to add a lot of <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> but do it, man. F it. You're only on this rock for 90 years. Let's make it 75 and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Who says living a long time is good anyways? Yeah. It's Longevity. assumptions here. <laughs> Let, let's have a concise life. Uh, <laughs> You're not some uh, lemming, some follower, are you? <laughs> Think for yourself. Uh, anyway, that's just kidding, of course. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> don't start that company. Uh, but I did think like there's something funny around like what's your emotional purpose statement for your business? Because you like the, right. I think you do need that. You maybe it's just you yourself, like as the founder, because you have to run through walls and like be dedicated. Right. right. And it's also something that's a rallying cry for your team. And so the the lens I said is like, what would you be yelling from? What would your emotional purpose statement be as uh, with with the comparison of something that William Wallace would be saying from horseback, like I thought that was the so rallying good. cry to get everyone just like losing their minds and <laughs> charging the English. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's a funny, that's an interesting way to think about it. The other way to think about it is like, totally. without this, you don't have a business, right? Like right. a lot of these social purpose statements, um, you remove the social purpose statement and they're still, you know, Pepsi. I think Pepsi was one of the examples of not a, not mm -hmm. an awesome execution on purpose. Um, but um, you remove it, they're still the exact same company. And so right. that that's probably not your purpose. Um, your purpose is something else. Um, and if you removed, I'm guessing, the idea of anyone smiling or having a good time while drinking a Pepsi, now you probably don't have the same brand you had, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, And uh, there are probably those sorts of tenets of if you removed them, it would be like destroying to your brand. That might be a sign that like that's the real purpose yep. or like Patagonia, if you removed their social purpose from their business, they don't have a business. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you remove social purpose from Pepsi, they've got a great business. They're, they're the same as they've always been, you know? Um, so maybe that's a useful lens. Totally. Perfect. Perfect way to end it. Any, any closing, closing remarks felt like this was good. Hopefully from the listener's perspective, this maybe felt slightly more, 
structured. We're working on up in our game there. But again, just to be consistent with what we've talked about today, we're just trying to start <laughs> and uh, failing along the way, but just trying to put stuff out there. And uh, part of it is just going through the process of, of creating because some of this stuff becomes self-evident. Oh, need to have a little bit more structure in these podcasts. Um, but uh, yeah, any any closing thoughts, statements? No, I don't think so. Um, cool. I thought it was fun. We didn't get through all of section one, so we'll have to get through the rest of it. I think there's some cool stuff around um, competitive um, mm -hmm. um, positioning and like um, competitive branding and like being the pioneer, being mm -hmm. an early entrant, being a late adopter. And there are good examples of people winning in all of those categories right. that I think Kyle Greg finally points out. And then one last thing I'll say maybe is that like, um, there's a reason that this text is formative, you know? And so like, while there we have right. maybe some nuances nuances and some some areas where we might add a little bit more like I, there's so much value in this book and we'll continue to try and distill it and give our take and, and hopefully have a genuine um vulnerability in how we received it and um and um hopefully it's useful for everybody here yeah provides such a great vocabulary I mean, before before reading this, just knowing what words to say, how to structure some of these thoughts so that they had meaning in my mind, like just from that perspective, it was so so helpful and foundational. So, yes, totally agree. Uh, that was fun. Thank you, Tom. Thank you to thank you, sir. Everyone listening, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye.